what I'd like to do is, uh, having watched all of my brothers up here preaching for the last few weeks and uh, working with them, uh, the shepherds particularly, uh, prior to going on sabbatical on these seven values, I want to take one more crack at kind of bringing it all together. Might seem a little redundant for if those, if you've, if you've been listening every Sunday, you might say, I think I got it. But for some of you, you might need to hear it. All right? So we'll see if we can do a combination with that. I want to start with an illustration. I believe I used it before, maybe prior to COVID, in fact. And uh, the illustration uh, comes from, uh, from uh, 1803 with Lewis and Clark are in uh, a bit. They are heading down the Missouri River right here in our backyard. They're setting out from St. Louis, and they're, they've been commissioned by Thomas Jefferson to find the Pacific Ocean to understand the Louisiana Purchase. So they set off on this journey in these canoes. And you know what? The Missouri River is a long, long river. And there is a lot of miles can be covered on the, on the Missouri and they found themselves day after day, day after day, day after day, canoeing until they got into Montana and found themselves in the Rocky Mountains. And when they got into the Rocky Mountains, suddenly they wondered just how effective their canoes were going to be for the rest of their journey. Because they looked out and they saw miles and miles and miles, in fact, hundreds of miles of the Rockies. Can you imagine crossing those today, even in a car, let alone being these travelers without all the benefits that we have? And they had their canoes but suddenly their canoes weren't really the right tool to take them on their journey the rest of the way. Now, there's much more to that story, and thank God for Sacagawea, and, and there's much, much more in terms of uh, the way that she uh, uh, was able to help them find, eventually find the Pacific. But what I want to point out this morning is what got them to the Rockies was not going to take them the rest of the way. And I want to suggest to that to us as a church, that while we have had an incredible history as a congregation, what has got us here very likely will not take us to the goal. And that's for a lot of reasons, and I would love to have an exploration with any of you that care enough to engage in why that might be true. Part of it, in fact, in large part, is because the cultural and societal shifts that are going on, that are massive, probably much more than many of us are aware. You could call it much like plate tectonics. And our institutions don't quite know what to do with all of that. But in large part, 
the last couple of years, COVID. And I would suggest that COVID has been a quickening agent. It has hurried along these cultural underpinnings that are at work. Now, Todd Bolsinger, who uh, was the one who actually came up with that metaphor of canoeing the mountains, said it this way, it's not going to do any good to paddle harder. You have to make adaptations. And the key to adaptation begins with going back to your deepest value. And we might say, in light of our seven values, our deepest values. You see, our mission has not changed. It is welcoming others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I read the New Testament, I believe there is one goal. And this one goal, it has many, many different expressions and many different ways we could say it and, and we could angle so that we, could, we could, might uh, perceive it. However, the clarity of the one goal is significant to wake us, to stir us, to shake us, to shape us. This one goal, this deepest value out of which all these other values flow is to grow into the image of God. Is to grow as individuals and as a people. And this was in the forefront of the mind of the Apostle Paul. And I want to read a couple of verses from Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. It's not new. But I want you to hear it again this morning. I want you to see this as our central guiding value out of which every other value and every other project, plan, ambition, action, behavior, service of this church should flow. We proclaim Him. This is Paul, Timothy presumably, speaking to the church in Colossae, by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present everyone, every person, mature in Christ. Paul says, Toward that goal, I also labor. Struggling according to His power that powerfully works in me. What's Paul saying? We proclaim Him. Jesus is the focus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. We are made by Him and we are made for Him, the book of Colossians says. We don't proclaim ourselves. We don't proclaim our church. This is our message. Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. 
And because of our purpose, we remember our mission statement, welcoming others into this growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we now have a mission and a message. So this is Paul's purpose, but not Paul's alone. He says we. Well, I suppose he meant he and Timothy, but I want to suggest that that we is every one of us who follows God. This is not limited to missionaries or apostles, nor leaders only, nor to the first century. We are a part of that we, and this is the goal of your life. Can you put the passage back up for just one minute again? Thank you, Spencer. I want you to see this, to grow up. This is the goal for this for you as an individual, for your family, for this church, for this neighborhood, for this city. To present everyone mature in Christ. And if you had to put it into your own words, you might use some different words and that would be okay. I know, I, I promise you, whatever words you would use, this is not an easy task. It's a struggle, he says. However, we don't do it alone. God's power works within us. So once we have the mission, and once we have this message and the goal of of growing up in Christ, then it raises the question of the method. How do we go about it? How do we go about it, Lane? This is what we were talking about prior to my sabbatical, trying to figure this out as a leadership. What is our method? Are we going to use canoes? If not canoes, then what? How do we cross the mountains in front of us? What do we focus on? What are our priorities? What are our ministries? What are our activities to accomplish that end? Well, we've come up with these seven what we're saying are our values and deep values to shape and guide us. Let me go ahead and name those again, just so we don't miss what we're talking about. Jeremy created this slide early on, and I think it captures it. Spirit-led and next-gen, family, diversity, adaptable, generosity, missional, And at this point, it's only right for me to stop and thank both the shepherds and uh, Jason Vincent and Jeff Fogarty for speaking the last few weeks about these central values. As Alec already said, what what depth we have in this congregation. That's just, just amazing. Wonderful words, Don, on generosity. Now, as was said, and I believe maybe Don actually said it, we don't claim that these seven values up here are infallible. We don't claim that they are perfectly complete. We don't claim that they are permanent. Some of this may evolve. However, they are representative of what we think about ourselves and our future. 
And they are helpful not as a list, because they're not helpful as a list, and they're not helpful only as a slogan, and they're not helpful only as a sign somewhere, or stuck on the website, or even if we posted it somewhere. They're helpful as working values in the life of this church for those who want to get to work. Values through which we think and we plan and we prioritize and we act. So we talked about being spirit-led, and that is to prayerfully follow God's direction. And there is so much in that simple phrase, spirit-led, because it's the spirit is God Himself. It's an expression of God, God's Spirit. God is alive in, in among His people. The Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, after being raised from the dead at the right hand of the Father, has given us His Spirit, and it is His Spirit that we talk to, and we pray to, and we surrender to, and we are led by. And then we talked about next gen. And this is investing in the next generation. And this is a recognition right out of the Bible. You see, these are biblical values. They're not stuff we just came up with. The Bible itself says, right after the Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you. He says, and this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter had in mind the generations to come in that very first sermon. And then family. If there's one thing our Church of Christ background and tradition understands, it's the value and treating one another as family. And we only want to do that more and more because we have a common Father that invites us and challenges us and commands us to deeply love one another. And then diversity. Diversity. Is that biblical value? Boy, we know that it is. And here we are, as Dave already mentioned, in Black History Month. And I just wanted to put up for just a moment a picture of this, this gentleman Richard Allen is his name, and he was born in 1760 into slavery. And his owner had a plantation, and, he got, and his owner got into financial trouble and sold his mother and two of the siblings. This left him and a brother and a sister to raise themselves. And so he began to go to church, and then he became a Christian. He reached others for Christ, and the, the slave owners were angered by his actions. And so Alan and his brother redoubled their efforts to their owner so that no one could say that enslaved people did not do well because of their religion. And then a preacher came to town who had realized that slavery was wrong, what seems so obvious to us. 
And this preacher had released his own slaves. And Alan's owner, though not a Christian, also offered his slaves an opportunity to buy their freedom. And so when Alan was 20, he was a free man. And he changed his name from Negro Richard to Richard Allen. And he moved to Philadelphia. And he, he, he preached early in the morning at 5 a.m., the service mostly attended by black folks. And the leadership of the church insisted that the black members had to be in separate area from the white ones. And while he was allowed to preach, he was not allowed to vote in their church and in their leadership conference. In 1787, the same time as that famous summer when the Constitutional Convention was being held in that hot those hot summer in Philadelphia, in the sessions where all 13 of the original states were represented and figuring out the future of our country, Allen recounts this in his own words. We had not been long on our knees. He's in the church. He's praying. Before I heard considerable scuffling and low talking. And I raised up my head and saw one of the trustees having hold of the Reverend Absalom Jones, his partner, pulling him off of his knees and saying, you must get up and you must not kneel here. And Mr. Jones replied, wait until prayer is over. Mr. said, you must get up now or I will call for aid and force you away. Mr. Jones said, wait until prayer is over and I will get up and trouble you no more. What happened after that event is it started the first national black church in the United States. Now, this is Black History Month. And Black History Month is about black history, but it's about American history. And Richard Jones' life points out the racial struggle between black and white, not only in American political history, but in our church life, in essentially all of American history. The American struggle is also the church's struggle then 
and in different ways, varying ways, to this very moment. Diversity is a biblical value, and it is and must be one of our values as we see the dream of God's kingdom. Can I have an amen? Now, that's going to require adaptability. We got to adapt. We got to change. We got to change whatever we got to change in order to better honor God. And it means generosity. It means to eagerly give our time and our talent and treasure. And it means being missional, and that is to purposefully share the good news. Jeff Fogarty, thank you for those two truths last week that you helped us latch onto that the gospel is historical. And that it is rational. It answers the deepest questions of our lives. Now let's see if we can bring this into practical application for just a few minutes here. Because we've got a lot of things coming up. And I want us to see how these seven values might function. First, a story. When I was doing some traveling over the last couple of months and I, while on sabbatical. And I heard about the staff of a church who... Was they were struggling with their Wednesday evening program. And so they decided to have a Wednesday church in the park. And they thought it would, the idea was that it would be closer to the people. And the point was to both try something different, shake things up a bit, and engage the congregation in a different way and engage the community on their turf, right? Well, I can't remember if it was the, just one week or just a couple of weeks, but the elders very quickly, according to the staff member, put a kibosh on it. And they said, no, don't ever do that again. I don't know. Were they right? Was that a good decision? Why did they say it? Was it a bad decision? I wasn't there. I have no idea. I'm simply relaying what the staff member said. <laughs> but it ended very quickly. But here's my question. On what basis did they make the decision to do it? And on what basis did they make the decision to squash it? And on what basis might they have used? That's what's before us, and if we think about this in terms of our seven values, or these values are a lens, or maybe a kaleidoscope, or maybe we could call it a filter through which we decide what is important that provide a, the driving force and the cohesion and the direction for us to continue in the mountains together. Let's think about it this way. Go ahead and put up the next slide, Spencer. Let's think about it in terms of these things. How could we apply, and are we applying, and are we already 
the seven values to the food pantry. As a ministry, Barb Eichley came in, and I talked to her this past week, and she said how well it was going, and uh, she is fully staffed with all the volunteers she needs. That's just remarkable. And she's doing such a good job with the leadership with that ministry, and she finds it very rewarding as a leader. A lot of times that's not true with a ministry. So that was great to hear, and, uh, and she's appreciated so many of you being active in, in this ministry. And to see the clients coming here to this building. So one question I would have is, is how are we doing at applying the seven values to the food pantry ministry We went back to our seven here. Go ahead and swing back, Spencer, for just a second. Spirit-led? I believe so. Next-gen focus. How could we incorporate next-gen into the food pantry ministry? How could we go about thinking about the distribution of that food and the impact we might make on the kids of those parents who are picking up the, or the grandchildren? We could go through each family. How could we not make it so much about handing out food as in a family experience? I'm just asking. A lot of this we're already doing. I'm just giving us a grid through which we look at what we are doing. Diversity. Is that being captured in terms of both the way we are ministering, who our volunteers are, who we're serving, all of those kind of questions. Prior to going on sabbatical, uh, Keaton Jones said, I believe there is so much opportunity in this ministry. And the word that we used in our elders meeting was engagement. To engage. People want relationship. How can we be family? How can we adapt to do that even better? And expressing generosity, Keaton has been getting out there and getting into the homes and volunteering his time and energy in the homes of these clients. See how it's missional? See how it goes from handing out food to encapsulating these seven values? Let's go to the next one, Spencer. What was the second one? Bible class. I love what we're doing with this intergenerational Bible class. Haven't even been in there yet, and I love it. Okay? Uh, just uh, in crossing generations and making it a church-wide thing and being at a table that feels like family talking about the Word of God together. Think about how these values are being captured by that time in the gym together. We might ask, what else could we do? Does it, is, it, is it representative in terms of, uh, you know, we talked about black-white diversity. Do, are we seeing that in that class? And if not, how do we extend some invitations for that to even work better? Think about our values. Think about what we're doing. Hiring a new children's minister and youth minister. 
What values? We looked at our seven values. How do we hold them out there? And, I, and thank you, because there's, there's at least two really active committees that are about to get active if they're not active already. One that Lane is leading for a youth minister, and the other one that Steve Hop and Steve Walker are leading for the children's ministry. And I know a bunch of you have already indicated you're one, you want to be a part of, of, of those of the, and it, I liked the way it was a cross-section of people already, too. It wasn't simply just even all of it parents with kids, but it was a cross-section of the congregation because I think it'll help us better incorporate these values in the selection of those people that we hire. How about this one in terms of communication? And maybe you could provide some feedback and help. You know, I think a good activity would be for having some of the teens to basically walk through the building and think about it from the standpoint, what would this communicate to your friends? And would this, is this the kind of place that they want to be? Or what, what could we do to sort of freshen it up, both from a communication standpoint, that would, uh, would speak to your friends even, in an even more relevant way? How are we doing in terms of our email, in terms of our social media, in terms of the signs in this building, in terms of the invitations that we extend of capturing our seven values? Certainly room for us to grow. And then finally, I want to mention family camp, and I'll be finished here this morning. And family camp is coming up uh, April Correct me, somebody's got the, uh, the date, and I get the date wrong, but I believe it's April 8 through 10. Maybe a bit of a misnomer. I think we want to use family camp this year to call it Reconnect. In fact, maybe it'll just be one of a series of events this year to help us as a congregation to reconnect. Don't we need it? Don't we need it? And so we want this to be we might say family, that's one of our values, but we want this to be a cross-section of the congregation so that NextGen is involved in that, adaptable. How we go about doing the family camp might be something different than what ways we've thought about it before. Do you get what I'm saying? Incorporate those values into all of our planning and our priorities and our projects. Let me finish this way. These values from God's Word provide the cohesion and the direction to navigate the mountains before us.